Greetings and welcome to What is California? A conversation with notable Californians in a quest to understand the Golden State. I'm your host, Stu Van Aersdell. For this episode, our 25th, I am coming to you from the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center. It's open garden day here, just a few miles outside Sacramento. It's a brisk, bright morning in Fair Oaks, where I am joined by Fred Hoffman. Fred is a 50-year veteran of radio and television, primarily known for his long, illustrious career as Farmer Fred, a steadfast voice of support for home garden enthusiasts in Sacramento and beyond. You might have seen Fred over the years on cable channels like HGTV and DIY Network, but I first heard him when he hosted the Get Growing radio show on KSTE and the KFBK Garden Show, both out of Sacramento. Since 2020, Fred has hosted the podcast Garden Basics with Farmer Fred. He is also the author of the newsletter of the same name, And he has written a gardening column for the Lodi News Sentinel since 1991. Fred is a lifetime master gardener with the prestigious University of California Cooperative Extension in Sacramento County, the master gardener program to which he has belonged for 40 years. In other words, Fred Hoffman knows plants. He knows soil, pests, water, fertilizer, sun, shade, seasons, you name it. If it grows, Farmer Fred knows. Fred Hoffman is old. (laughs) You like that, Fred? Yeah. (laughs) Fred's gardening advice and wisdom may originate in Sacramento, but they are California treasures, and you don't need a green thumb to appreciate his counsel. He demystifies plants and makes it easy to learn, to love, and to grow gardens in our lovely state. And he's going to tell us how he got started both on his California journey and then in his garden. And since spring has sprung and it's that time of year, he's going to tell us how we can get started as well. Let's get to it. Farmer Fred Hoffman, welcome to What is California? It's so fun to be with you this morning. How you doing? It's fun to be here, and I'm glad we're at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center, which is a garden gem that accomplishes a lot here. Not only is it a project of the Sacramento County Master Gardeners, but there are theme gardens here. Anything that you might be growing at home, they're growing it here to show you how to do it. And there are demonstration gardens like this throughout the state. Every county, not every county, but most counties have a cooperative extension master gardener program. Many of those have demonstration gardens. So if anybody throughout the state is looking for advice on how to grow things, check out your local cooperative extension office. If they have a master gardener program, they probably have a demonstration garden. The Fair Oaks Horticulture Center was one of the first and it keeps expanding. And the big event, of course, is Harvest Day, which is the first Saturday in August. It attracts thousands of people. It's a free event with garden geniuses from all over come here to share their information. And the reason I like coming to it is when people come up to me to ask me a question, I can say, you see that guy over there in the, in the big hat? Ask him. He knows everything there is to know about that. Right, right, right. We're going to come back to Harvest Day and the Horticulture Center. And uh, first, I just want to ask, what is your California story? Are you from here originally? If if not, how did you get here? Well, can't you tell I have a North Hollywood accent? Oh, right. Of course, I can tell. For sure. (laughs) That twang. Yes. (laughs) For sure. No, I was born in North Hollywood, uh, actually born in Burbank at St. Joseph Hospital. And I believe I arrived there in a 1949 Dodge, uh, (laughs) driven by my dad. Uh, I have lived uh, my entire life in California, all throughout the state. Uh, The career in radio, it started in Los Angeles, in colleges like Los Angeles Valley College, and uh, what was then called Valley State, which is now Cal State Northridge. And from there, uh, 
moved up north to work at a radio station up in Fort Bragg. And boy, for a kid from L.A. to move to Fort Bragg, I understood right then why people needed jackets. Mm -hmm. I never had a heavy jacket in L.A. It hung in the closet, (laughs) usually for those rare weekends when we went to Big Bear. But generally speaking, no, you know, you'd wear a light denim jacket and that would be it. But going to Fort Bragg where it gets cold in the wintertime and wet and cloudy... It was a shock to my system, especially for a guy like me who likes heat. I had one day a week off up in Fort Bragg, and I would drive to Ukiah, which is inland up in Mendocino County, just to get warm. Mm-hmm, right. And it's about then I realized I like it warm. Right. So it's not all sunshine and surfing and palm trees. You do get that kind of Fort Bragg vibe, too. Well, yeah, of course you do. And uh it's fine if you if you get used to the cold, but I never got used to the cold. And uh, that's how I ended up in Sacramento, actually. When I started driving around looking for radio gigs, I would, uh, I would stop wherever I saw a radio tower. Mm. And I, I drove up 101 from L.A. all the way up to Fort Bragg and then cut across 299 and went to uh, Redding and Susanville, then back down uh, 99 through the valley applying at radio stations. And I stopped in Sacramento. I had never been to Sacramento before. And I pulled off an exit. I had no idea where I was. And it happened to be near McKinley Park. And it was a September day. It was very warm. And I just loved that heat. And I go, I could live here. Mm -hmm. And I ended up living there. And so this is the part of California you call home today, obviously, Sacramento County, right? Correct. I've lived in Sacramento County for uh, 50 years, close to it. So in what ways has this area of California changed since you've been here? And how do you feel about the changes? It's more crowded, but that's okay. It used to be, I mean, back when I first moved uh, to Sacramento back in the 70s, downtown Sacramento became a ghost town after 5 p.m. After the government offices closed down, uh, there was no traffic, there was no people, there was no nightlife. Now there's nightlife. Now there is a vibrant downtown Sacramento, there's a vibrant midtown Sacramento, and of course there's more traffic jams too. What is your earliest memory of California, and why do you think that memory has stuck with you? Well, I mean, frankly, the, I think the earliest memory I can think of was uh, me uh, moving my mouth along the edge of my crib, pretending it's a harmonica. <laughs> but I, I, I must have seen somebody playing the harmonica and thought, oh, I could do that. That is such a vivid first memory. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was, I was like humming along as I was moving my mouth up and down the sides of the, uh, of the crib. But other than that, uh, I remember, I don't know, I, I came from a middle class family. And for some reason, I remember going with some friends of my parents, and the man had a Jaguar. So this is a mid-50s Jaguar. So this is like 1955. And it had a sunroof. And we were going through the Hollywood Hills, which are windy roads. And he said, you want to stand up and look outside? I go, yeah. And so I stood on the back of the front seat with my head sticking out the sunroof, and just felt that wind, and it just felt so good. And I'll always remember that. I have no idea how my parents knew rich people, but I was glad they did. Yeah. And I got to ride in a Jaguar through the hills of Hollywood. But feeling that wind uh, is something that is replicated every time I get on a bike, and I love to ride my bike. Mm-hmm. And I've ridden my bike uh, throughout California, uh, throughout the nation, too. I did a bike ride for the Lung Association as a fundraiser back in 88, uh, riding my bike from Seattle to Atlantic City. 
So I got to experience a lot of different cultures and a lot of different weather, too. And I keep coming back to California going, yeah, this is much better here. Yeah, sure. What's a, an enduring or significant memory of like a California bike ride that perhaps you've had? I've had a lot of great bike rides in California. Uh, one of the more memorable ones, again, was a fundraiser for the Lung Association that started up in Mount Shasta City. And it went from, it was a seven-day ride. It went from Mount Shasta City up Highway 97 through Doris, California, home to the largest American flag. And really? Can, yeah. And, and can, in Doris? In Doris. It was over like a gas station or a convenience store. Is it still there? That I don't know. Oh, wow. This would have been back in the 1990s. Okay. But the bike ride um, basically went uh, sort of northeast and even ventured up into Klamath Falls, Oregon, then back down into a, a very nice national park called Lava Beds National Monument, which is full of caves. If you like exploring caves, check out Lava Bed National Monument, which I think that's Modoc County. I'm not quite sure, but uh, there was great time there. We went down to Bernie Falls. And the highlight of the trip is basically seeing every day Mount Shasta and Mount Lassen for 360 degrees. So you're basically riding around, especially Mount Shasta. But from the east side, and I've heard guests on your show talk about the marvels of this corner of California, the northeastern California. And it, it really is beautiful. And the air is just so blue and crisp and clear, and the mountains just stand out there. You're surrounded by verdant agricultural fields. Usually it's wheat or horseradish. Right. And it was just outstanding views. Mm -hmm. So who are some Californians who've influenced or impacted you and who you are? Well, on radio, it's it's all about breaks, getting, getting those breaks. And there are some people who took a chance on me and uh, gave me jobs in, in fields, related fields that I had no experience in. For instance, uh, back in the mid-70s, I was a, a country music DJ at what was a very popular radio station here in Sacramento called KRAK. And I did an all-night uh, country music show called Captain Fred's All-Night Truckin' Show. And that show ended, uh, they did a little change of personnel after I was there for six years. And I got a job as a fill-in talk show host on a big Sacramento talk station. And so going from being a country music disc jockey to a talk show host may seem like a stretch, but it was like a duck to water. I, mm -hmm. I just really enjoyed it. But they took a chance on me, going, well, this guy's a disc jockey. At least he knows how to do time and temperature. So maybe he can fill in the gaps. And mm -hmm. I did. And that became uh, what I've been doing, talk shows in uh, radio, since uh, the early 80s. So how does California's geography then also influence or impact you and who you are? Well, as a gardener, I'm very fond of saying that all gardening is local. And sure enough, there are so many climactic zones in California that you cannot replicate what you have done in San Francisco, say, in the Central Valley. And certainly that's one of the big changes we've seen here in Sacramento is the influx of Southern California and Bay Area coastal dwellers who have been selling their 1.5 million 1,300 square foot Burlingame homes and moving to Sacramento and buying a little mini mansion. And they think they can grow the same plants outdoors here that they did there. I'm thinking of uh, the weeping fig, the ficus benjamina, which is a fine house plant here, and it's an outdoor plant in Southern California and along the coast. But the coastal climate is so much cooler and so much more moderate as opposed to the extreme temperatures here that 
you know, you can't grow that stuff here outdoors unless you've got a really special situation. There are microclimates available. So that's uh, one of the things that I've pursued as a, a garden talk show host is uh, helping people adapt to their new homes, wherever they may be. And probably the, the biggest uh, frustration for a lot of gardeners is growing avocados. If there's a, a crop in California that says, California, it's avocados. So everybody wants to grow avocados. Avocados are grown commercially in California along really a very narrow coastal strip from, oh, maybe San Luis Obispo on down through San Diego. As soon as you get out of that range where it's colder than 40 degrees or warmer than 85 degrees, you're going to have issues. And you're probably not going to be able to grow the same variety of avocado that is grown in that commercial zone. So fortunately, there are Mexican varieties of avocados that can work, but they're a challenge to grow in the warm Central Valley. So that's what everybody wants to know, is how to grow an avocado. And I just say good luck. You've also said there is a certain feeling I get when I know I'm in the right place. What, what do you mean by that? Yeah, it, it, it's, it's this weird feeling I get that it, it's almost like a vibe that if I'm at a certain spot and it just feels good to me, I'll say, I could live here. And that happened to me just uh, a week and a half ago. I was on a bike ride in Amador in Calaveras County. Uh, going through the foothills around Lake Comanche and uh, Party Reservoir and the New Hogan Dam area. And it's rolling foothills, verdant native oaks, and it's still April, so the pasture grass is still green. It was just gorgeous. And I'm riding through there going, yeah, yeah, I, I could live here. It'd be nice. It, it's just a, this vibe I get. It, it's how we got our house uh, in Harold, California, which is in southeastern Sacramento County. We were looking for a house because at the time, I was working in Sacramento, my wife was working in Stockton, we wanted a place halfway. So if you're familiar with that area of California and you picked a point halfway, you might say, well, maybe Elk Grove or Galt. But our search took in a much wider circle and we ended up in Herald and we started, we were just driving around looking for for sale signs and saw this house. And it was a new house sitting on 10 acres no landscaping whatsoever. It was just a house in the middle of a field with no fencing, no nothing, just the house. And we walked around the house. We didn't have keys, but we walked around the house. And I looked out from the back and just looked out at the surrounding rolling acreage and the green fields. And there was this western meadowlark sitting on the well tank with his very noticeable song that the western meadowlark sings i go this is it this is the house mm-hmm. and we hadn't even seen the inside of the house yet and I, go, I don't care <laughs> this is it i really love how you've described the difference between highway 99 and i-5 as well can you maybe uh tell us a little bit more about that distinction well with family in los angeles and me living most of my life adult life in northern california there's a lot of trips between northern california and southern california and you you have basically two efficient roads to get there. I mean, you could take Highway 101, but that's a lot more hours, certainly more scenic, but much slower. So you have Highway 99, which is an old road that parallels railroad tracks. Towns have built up around 99, a lot of ag you can see. And then there's I-5, Interstate 5, which is very efficient between Sacramento and Los Angeles. It's four lanes, 
There's nothing to see. You might see cattle, but it's bleak. It runs along the edge of the coastal range. And it's just like, this is boring. Uh, but and 99 yeah. is a little bit slower because yeah you do go through towns i mean there are freeways through towns but still the traffic builds up it backs up and it might take you 10 15 20 minutes longer but highway 99 has soul i, I like to think of it as for you big band fans out there uh, comparing and you may disagree with me and that's okay the difference between benny goodman and Artie shaw and benny goodman always struck me as being very technically proficient. Yes, he hits all the right notes. Yes, that's a very nice toe-tapping song. Artie Shaw, on the other hand, had soul. He played the clarinet with soul. His bandmates had soul. 99 has soul. 99, you can just feel the labor that's gone into developing the Central Valley as the great agricultural cornucopia that it is on Highway 99. You don't get that feeling on 5. It's almost like you're in a northern and central California desert in a lot of spots. Whereas with 99, you're seeing a variety of crops. You can play the name that crop game as you drive by. And it it just strikes me that this is where people live. This is where California eats. So Benny is I-5 and Artie is Highway 99. Correct. Yes. I love that. Do you have a favorite California place? (sighs) It's like picking a favorite child. Um, you can do it. It's, well, obviously, if I've lived in Sacramento for all these years, it, 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 it must be Sacramento, Sacramento County. And, and Sacramento County is a very divergent county. You still have ag. Uh, you, you still have um, a lot of big cities, obviously. You've got uh, Sacramento itself. You've got Elk Grove. And where I live now in Folsom, you've got the rolling hills because it's on the eastern edge of Sacramento County where the foothills begin. And for me, Folsom is ideal because I love to bike. And there is just so much variability in the altitude you can climb and the steepness of the climbs. For a bicyclist, if you live in Folsom because you're adjacent to Placer County and El Dorado County, and you can find some really nice hills to go up and down uh, in that area. Plus, I mean, for me... The big draw for Sacramento is the American River Parkway system. 23 miles of it is controlled by Sacramento County. From mile 23 to mile 32, it's a combination of uh, the state park and county. And it goes from Discovery Park at the confluence of the American and Sacramento Rivers all the way to Folsom Lake. And there are no cars. It's quiet. You are going right along the American River. There's variability. There's there's lots of trees. There's a lot of wildlife. You see, I, I did the whole thing yesterday. And you see deer, turkey, coyote. I counted, I think, about 10 different species of birds. And there's just, and squirrels. And there's just so much to enjoy. And it really just cleans out my brain. It's just so peaceful. And you can really get into a Zen moment. I call it my cycle therapy. Mm-hmm. And it's just, I think, to me, the biggest attraction uh, for Sacramento. And it it attracts, according to the city, it attracts something like a million visitors a year to the American River Parkway system just because there is so much recreation along there. You've got the bike trail. You've got the water. So you've got rafting and kayaking and uh, rowing and and, and just walking, too. Yeah, it's a total jewel. It's it's an absolute uh, master stroke of urban planning. I first encountered you as a broadcaster listening to your Farmer Fred radio show on Sunday mornings, and we'll get to the radio show, but 
how did you become Farmer Fred in the first place? Well, Farmer Fred actually began as Captain Fred on some rock and roll radio stations that I've uh, worked at, including um, KFIV and Modesto, where one of the other disc jockeys said, you look like a ship's captain. I'm going to start calling you Captain Fred. You go, okay. Well, and, and it stuck. And from Modesto, I moved to Sacramento and got a job at uh, a country music, 50,000-watt country music behemoth, KRAK, that the signal could be heard throughout the northern hemisphere, really, at night. And I hosted the all-night trucking show, Captain Fred's all-night trucking show, with widespread listenership. Well, at 5 a.m., the show became the KRAK Farm Hour, which was hosted by Walt Shaw, who was also a Sacramento radio institution. And I became a master gardener in 1982. And part of the deal when you're a master gardener is you have to tell people what you've learned as a master gardener because master gardener training entails they bring in University of California experts in all sorts of horticultural fields. You learn a lot. You have to pass a test to become a master gardener. And then you go out and spread the word to the community about good gardening habits. And I saw that as, okay, well, that'll be my volunteer hours is basically spreading the word via radio. So I asked Walt, I said, Walt, can I have five minutes of uh, the farm hour to do a little garden segment? And he said, yeah, kid, go ahead. And I, I figured, well, it's a farm hour. I'll call myself Farmer Fred so people don't get confused with Captain Fred. But anyway, far, that's where Farmer Fred began uh, on the KRAK Farm Hour and uh, basically became... Uh, garden talk shows uh, in the 1990s and beyond. You just mentioned the Master Gardener program. What is the UCCE Master Gardener program exactly? The Master Gardener program nationwide actually began in the state of Washington. It spread quickly to California, though. The first uh, Sacramento County Master Gardener class was 1981, I believe, 80 or 81. And I was in the 1982 class. In Master Gardener training, you learn to be a knowledgeable gardener knowing good gardening techniques, basically integrated pest management techniques. And the reason I joined the Master Gardener program is right after I bought my first house, we had a flea infestation. Our dog was always scratching. And if you know anything about flea control, you know there's like three aspects of flea control. You have to control the fleas on the dog. You have to control the fleas in the house. You have to control the fleas in the yard. So my job was controlling the fleas in the yard. And this would have been 1980 or so. And so what did I know about controlling fleas in the yard? Nothing. So you go to a nursery and the nursery guy says, okay, well here, put this down. And it was granular diazinon, which is a, a non-selective pesticide that kills all sorts of ground-dwelling creatures. I, I just wanted to kill fleas. So I spread these granules out. And all of a sudden, and this is honest to God true, there was this deathly silence in the ground where before I felt a vibrancy. I, I felt that there was life there. And, but after I had spread these granules down, and it was just like minutes later, I go, silence. This, is, this isn't good. What did I do wrong? Who else did I kill? Oh, wow. And at that point, I go, I need to learn more about gardening. Yeah. And I uh, researched the Master Gardener program. I go, well, this is for me then. This is where I'm going to learn techniques where I can garden more safely. 
And one of the aspects, the big aspects of being a master gardener is you're teaching integrated pest management techniques, which is starting with the least toxic alternative. Now there are master gardener programs in just about every county in California. There are demonstration gardens throughout the state run by the master gardeners. They do appearances and answer garden questions at various events like Harvest Day here in Sacramento County, which is the first Saturday every August here at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center. And you just meet the greatest people, too. So with that said, what is your mission, would you say, as Farmer Fred? I think to teach kinder, gentler gardening. When I first started doing full-time garden shows on the radio back in 1992, when people would phone in with questions, they would always preface the question with, what can I buy to control, you know, whatever the problem is? And mainly they were doing that because every garden show host up to that point had been a nurseryman, Mm -hmm. and rightly so. But the job of a nurseryman is to sell stuff. And so they're going to sell you products. So people got into the habit of prefacing all questions with, what can I buy to control this pest? I am very happy to say that by harping on integrated pest management techniques, talking about the least toxic alternatives, the question now is phrased as, when it comes in, is, what can I do to control this pest? So people realize that physical controls are cheaper, They can be just as effective. Mechanical controls, cultural controls. Before you move into chemical controls, try the physical, cultural, and mechanical controls first. And they work. So what has the response been to your show over the years? And Who are your listeners and and how do they (laughs) respond to you? Well, you do something long enough, people come to regard you as as a member of their family. And that's true on the radio. I'm in people's homes uh, on the radio you know, every week. So, you know, I'm a a trusted member of their family and I don't want to violate that trust. So I answer the garden questions as honestly and forthrightly as possible. I I really appreciate everybody who listens, who listened to the radio shows and now listen to the Garden Basics podcast too. And gardeners are some of the most friendly people in the world. And it it really shows. And it's just a pleasure interacting with them just about every day on the podcast. So how did the podcast come about after the radio show? It actually, they were going simultaneously for a while there. Uh, this thing called COVID started. You may recall that. Right. Uh, I've heard of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was the oddest thing because I started hearing from nurseries and seed companies back in March of 2020 going, we're being slammed. We're out of seeds. Wow. They're disappearing. And the aha light went on in my head. I go, well, all of a sudden, there's a lot of new gardeners out there, and they might want some help. They may need some help in uh, getting started. So Garden Basics came along in April of 2020 and has been along uh, twice a week uh, ever since. And we've expanded uh, Garden Basics to get into some of the science of gardening, too. So it's really been a fun journey, and there's a lot of people going on. I have heard a figure that... There are something like 18 million new gardeners since the onset of COVID. Wow. And most of them are millennials. So come on in, kids. The water's fine. I love it. So would you say you're succeeding then with the mission that you set out with as Farmer Fred? Oh, I can die happy. Yeah. I, I, it's uh, all a case of uh, if I can uh, tell people how to surf with nature and they succeed, more power to all of us. 
And, you know, you just kind of were alluding to this, but I am curious about your thoughts, how gardening has evolved as a hobby. I mean, not just in the last couple of years since COVID, but, you know, whether it's food or whether it's landscape design, how has it changed since in California? <laughs> uh, if you can speak maybe to the broader state, how's it changed since you started as Farmer Fred? Oh, there's no question. It's all about water. I mean, really, whiskey is for drinking, water is for fighting, and there we are going to have to deal with less and less water, and the landscape is going to have to evolve to be able to get by with less and less water. And there's all sorts of ways that can happen with drip irrigation, with using mulch, but most of all, with putting the right plant in the right place. Don't make the plant suffer. If it's a plant that needs to be in full sun, keep it in full sun. If it needs to be in shade, plant it in shade. What's interesting, too, with climate change is all of a sudden, full sun is getting to be too much for a lot of full sun plants. In the last 10 years or so, I've been hearing a lot of complaints from people about sunburned tomatoes and sunburned wow. peppers because the sun is more intense now. Yeah. So I'm recommending that you put your summer vegetables, your heat-loving, sun-loving summer vegetables in a place, especially here in the Central Valley, where they get some afternoon shade. See, that happened to me a couple of years ago. I had some tomatoes on the southern side of my house where they got the most direct exposure, and that was a mistake. Even when I would shade them a little bit, it's just like it was just too much sun, or, and it didn't used to be. You know, that sun would just be so intense, and the, the tomatoes did, I think, get a little bit baked, to, I mean, and not in a good way. <laughs> well, you got to consider all the microclimates that are in any yard, and one of the warmest places in a yard is facing a southern or west-facing fence. If you have plants sitting on concrete in pots that are up against a west-facing or a south-facing wall, that's going to be the hottest place in the yard. It might be a good place to grow avocados because you do have a lot of winter heat that's getting reflected back in there. Right. But for summer vegetables, it can be way too warm to have all that heat in that spot. So, But going back to the right plant in the right place, in a lot of situations, what people don't realize is that in the case of tomatoes, not all tomatoes are created equal. A lot of people like to grow heirloom tomatoes, like brandywine. Well, Brandywine's a fine tomato, and it does great if you live in Pennsylvania where it's from. But Pennsylvania is cooler. It has higher humidity. Whereas the tomatoes that have been developed over the decades here in California are better suited to the California climate, like Early Girl and Better Boy. Right. So how has drought and heat in California changed what you grow and how you grow it? And, and then how would you advise people who are starting gardens to maybe kind of do that on their own? Mulch, mulch, mulch. Uh, putting down organic mulch three, four inches thick throughout your garden beds preserves soil moisture. It moderates soil temperature fluctuations. It improves the life that is in your soil. And it's that microbial activity in the soil that is feeding your plants. You don't feed your plants with fertilizer. Something has to convert that fertilizer into a form that the plant roots can use. And that is the job of all that microbiotic activity going on in the soil to convert what is there into something that's edible for a plant. And that mulch contributes to that nutrition of the soil. So mulch, drip irrigation are all good things to have in the 21st century garden because of climate change 
and the lack of water. I often talk to folks who say they want to have a garden, but they feel like they'll kill everything. And, or, or at best, they just don't know how or where to start. So what do you say to folks like that who, who may want to get started? How do you help demystify gardening and encourage them to give it a try? What's the easiest way for them to take that first step? The easiest way is to know where the sun is in your yard, know the qualities of your soil. Does it drain easily or is it a mud puddle? Use raised beds. Raised beds are a great way to start gardening. It doesn't have to be big. It can be a, a bed that's three feet square or four feet by eight feet long. But it's great to have that raised area. It's much easier for the plants to grow successfully in a bed like that. I can't get away from not mentioning the fact that most master gardeners throughout the state of California would be glad to assist you and to answer your questions, and you're going to get honest answers. They're not trying to sell you anything. They're just trying to tell you the best way to garden. And there's usually it's usually a case of operator error uh, when it comes to why things are not succeeding. The great news is as we are developing technology to cope with the drought, it's making it easier and easier for gardening to succeed. I, I am fond of saying that in the world of garden talk shows, if all I ever said for an answer was, well, there's something wrong with your watering, I would be right 90% of the time. Right, yeah. And now there is technology available that monitors the soil moisture and will turn on your drip irrigation system or your sprinklers when the soil actually needs the water, not based on, oh, I feel hot today, I bet my plants want water. No, that's not the case. It's what's in the soil. What's eight inches down in the soil? What's the moisture level like down there? And if you're growing in pots, how quickly is that pot drying out? The technology is there to automate all of that to uh, solve all of your watering issues. If you're willing to invest in it, it's a little expensive now, but it's going to come down in price. I'm very bullish about the success for gardeners in the future by having all this automatic watering technology available. Right, and also, I mean, just at the very, no pun intended, root of the issue, you have to be willing to just try this stuff. You have to be willing to just like give it a shot and like realize, you know, some things are going to succeed. Some things are going to fail. Even for the most seasoned, experienced gardeners, like some things just don't work. And you have to be willing to take those chances, experiment and learn along the way. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I do it every year. Every year I will gr I grow tomatoes I know will do well here. And I grow ones that I've never grown before. Same is true with peppers. The same is true with zucchini varieties. The same is true with popcorn. I love to grow popcorn. Yeah. Yeah, you, you got to experiment. You got to try new things. And it didn't work? Okay, you learn from that. Right. And, and you move on. Right. Let's zoom out to the big picture now. What is the biggest challenge you would say California faces? And, and how do you think that challenge can be surmounted? We're going to talk about water again. All right, let's I mean, do it. That's, that's just the way it is. Water's life. Many water districts now have been telling their uh, home customers, uh, yeah, you can only water twice a week. That's going to become once a week. Will they ever get to a point where they say, we're going to turn off your water to your yard, you know, until we tell you to turn it back on? That could be. We've seen it happen in small towns where outdoor landscape watering has been prohibited. It could get to that point unless people start making some changes now to use less water. Switching from sprinklers to more efficient sprinklers, 
The MP rotator heads, for example, put out little streams of water instead of a spray. There's a lot less water lost that way. There's drip irrigation, which uses a lot less water. That's very helpful for helping to solve the future. But I think the big change that needs to happen, and it has to happen on a homeowners association level too, is we got to get rid of all the lawns that we have. It's okay to have a smaller turf area, but do you really need a thousand square foot lawn? Probably not. Lawns are labor intensive. People think, well, I don't want a garden. I just want a lawn. Well, congratulations. You've just committed yourself to weekly work. The hardest job there is in horticulture is caring for that lawn because it's not a unit. It's thousands and thousands and thousands of little plants that are trying to grow that need a lot of care, mowing and watering and fertilization, uh, taking care of diseases and pests as well. Whereas if you take out most of your lawn and put in low water use plants, lots of mulch, drip irrigation system, you can have a thriving, beautiful yard that's nice to look at and is going to attract the pollinators and the beneficial insects, the garden good guys, that are going to help you control the pests to the point where you don't even need to buy any pesticides. Mm -hmm. And that's true in my own yard. I, I haven't mm -hmm. right. sprayed a plant in years yeah. because I am attracting all sorts of beneficial insects that do the job for me. Exactly. And in your experience discussing California with people outside the state, what do you find they most misunderstand about California? Well, a lot of people's ideas of California revolve around San Francisco and Los Angeles. And they think if they visit L.A., go to Disneyland, visit San Francisco, and go to Fisherman's Wharf, well, this is what it's like living in California. It's mild, it's kind of overcast, and it's, uh, it's a very nice place to live. People miss the Central Valley, which is a big area extending from Redding all the way down to Bakersfield and beyond. The Central Valley is the cornucopia of food production for America. If you just take a look at the agricultural output of Kern County and Tulare County, which I think most people from out of California couldn't find on a map, but look at their agricultural output. It's greater than the entire state of Iowa. as far as far And the wide variety of crops that are grown here. There's a whole host of crops that are basically California exclusives, 99% of many crops are grown right here in California. Like what? Some of the crops that you're not going to find grown much in any other state, but they are viable commercial crops here in California that you probably enjoy no matter where you live. Artichokes, dates, garlic, raisin grapes, kiwi, melons, olives, cling peaches, pistachios, rice, and walnuts. They're all from California. We end every episode with the same question for all guests. Who is your favorite Californian, past or present, and why? I had to think about that one. You know how it's, it seems like everybody that's run for president in, in the last 20 or 30 years claims to be the infrastructure president, that they're going to fix the broken bridges, the roads, the, the rail travel, the air travel, and just make the country better that way. And that's a great idea. But who's the only politician to have ever done that? And in California's history, it's Pat Brown, Jerry's father. Pat Brown, two-term governor back in the 1950s, he accomplished an amazing amount of California greatness that still exists today. The highway system, 
the water system, my heavens, the state water project. He was the one that started up using reservoirs, putting in pipelines, moving water from Northern California to Southern California, basically making the Central Valley the verdant farmland that it is. And without him, people would be, we would have run out by groundwater by now. And what he's done for the California University system. Right, yeah. The University of California system, the California State University system, and the community college system Mm -hmm. were all given their marching orders by Pat Brown. And what a great system this is. I mean, as a community college graduate, I'm very bullish on community colleges because they do such a great job of teaching actual skills to people. We need the mechanics. We need the electricians. We need the artists. We need the cooks. Where are you going to learn all that? Community colleges. And you can make a fine living being a community college graduate. So Pat Brown's your guy. I'll go with Pat Brown. I mean, he accomplished more in two terms than Jerry Brown did trying to build a railroad from Oildale to Madera in four terms. Fred Hoffman, thank you so much for being with us on What is California? It's been so great having you here. Thank you. There you have it. Farmer Fred Hoffman. What a guy. I would just echo his advice. Do not overwater, folks. Just do not over water. If you think that something needs water, check the soil. Just stick your finger in the soil. If you don't have anything else, just kind of see how that soil is doing. If it's damp, you probably don't need to water it. All right. If it's dry, give it a little drink. But yeah, most problems can be solved by just not watering things as much as you think they need. So, uh, but Farmer Fred is the one to whom I defer. And you can go ahead and check out his podcast, Garden Basics with Farmer Fred and the newsletter as well. I'll link to both of those in the show notes. I hope you'll have a listen and take a read. They are indispensable, just as Farmer Fred is. Such a pleasure to have him on the show this week. And don't forget, you can check out the UC Master Gardeners as well for Sacramento County. If you want to take that next step, there's also UC Master Gardeners in your area of California in all likelihood. So I'll go ahead and put the link in the show notes for those as well. What is California is produced, hosted, and edited by me, Stu Van Aersdale. Our theme music is by Sound Supreme. You can follow us on Twitter at WhatCalifornia and subscribe to our newsletter on Substack at whatiscalifornia.substack.com. That'll get you a free podcast in your inbox every Thursday and a free roundup of weekend links, cool California stories every Friday. You can email us at hello at whatiscalifornia.com. Send me love notes, hate mail, suggestions, comments, other things I haven't even thought of yet. And if you would like to subscribe to the podcast, I would really appreciate that. Anywhere you get podcasts, you will find What is California. And if you like the show on Apple Podcasts in particular, please rate and review us there. It helps new listeners find us. That is going to do it from What is California HQ in beautiful Sacramento, California. It's been a pleasure to be with you again. Until next time, as always, remember, keep your eye on the bear. Bear.